Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 13 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, I do have to be honest with you. Uh, I was coming into chapel today, and uh, there were some people out in the parking lot, and they were feeling the ice on the windshield of a car, and they go, whoa, that feels weird. <laughs> so uh, just be thankful you don't live up north. They have, it's like 30 below in Minneapolis probably today or something like that. Yeah, but I'm glad you're here. We're going to have a great day today. We're going to have a great time. And it was great to, uh, for those that stuck around in the gym and just kind of hung out and, and played around a little bit, you're going to have a, a, just a little taste of what today's going to be like. And we trust you have a great, great day today. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 13. And uh, we're going to take a look at a story in God's Word uh, that he's included for us to give us some wonderful instruction. And uh, would you look at 2 Samuel chapter 13, and uh, we find a story about a man named Amnon. And Amnon uh, made some huge mistakes in his life. And, you know, there are really three people living in the world today. There are the stupid, they never learn from their mistakes. And uh, there are the smart, they learn from their own mistakes, but there's the wise, number three. The third kind of people, they learn from other people's mistakes. Would you be wise this morning, and would you learn from Amnon's mistakes? Would you look at verse uh, number one of chapter 13? Notice God inspired these words, and it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Look at the very next words. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. I promise you there was a day that came that Amnon wished he never even heard that name Jonadab. But Amnon had a friend. I want to preach to you about this subject of the kind of friends that you have in your life. I'm going to preach to you this morning on friends or foes. Which one is the crowd really that you're hanging out with? Father, thank you for our time together. We pray that you would take your holy word. Would you apply it to our hearts and to our lives, Father? Would you, Father, even this morning, show us one thing in our life that needs to change, and by your grace would we see victory. Thank you again for your goodness to us. We love you. Thank you for bringing us to the end of a year and the start of another one. Help it be a year that is filled, Lord, with praise and honor and glory to you and holy living. Lord, that uh, we could please you and bring you honor and glory. Thank you in advance for what you do. We pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. Linda Ann Herman checked out of her sixth grade uh, English class complaining of a weak stomach. As she checked out of school, she walked literally seven blocks down the street. She made a right-hand turn into the Catholic Church, went up to the third row where she sat in silent contemplation for a matter of hours. After several hours of silent contemplation, Linda Ann Herman took out a 38 revolver pistol out of her backpack. She put it up to her head and she did the unthinkable. She pulled the trigger. A suicide note that was left indicated that she had taken her life due to the influence and the suggestion of her own friends. You know, Linda Ann Herman, her problem that day was not her weak stomach. Her problem was her weak friends. One out of every three teenagers consider suicide. They are considering it. I preach to thousands of them every year. One out of every seven are successful. He realized that 90 teens this week in America will commit suicide. It's the second leading cause of death amongst teenagers in the United States of America, and a lot of times it all comes from the type of the crowd that you run with. The Bible says, he that walks with the wise shall be wise. Hey, you want to love God, do what's right. Hang out with other guys and girls that love God, want to do what's right. That's what you're going to be like. He that walks with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And boy, we see this in the life of Amnon. I want you to see really uh, some characteristics, what happens to you when you have the wrong kind of friends in your life. Would you look back to 2 Samuel 13? I want you to look at verse number one as we begin this story. The Bible says, and it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, or uh, uh, Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. Now, when you read that, and it says that she was a fair sister, that doesn't mean like when they were playing a game, she made sure everyone had an equal chance and an and, and equal turn, right? That's not what it's talking about, right? And it's not like, hey, at one out of 10, hey, this girl was kind of like a five. She was kind of homely, you know, and not really that pretty. Really what the Hebrew word there is, she was a beautiful girl. So that word fair, man, she, yeah, fair, she, her skin, she was a beautiful girl. Uh, Tamar was a beautiful girl. And notice what it says, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Look at me, young person. Love had nothing to do with this. He lusted after her. He didn't love her. And we'll see that in just a minute. And Amnon was so vexed, in verse two, that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. And so he wants to hook up with Tamar. And as you read verse two, you think, oh, well, at least Amnon had some kind of decency because she was a virgin. She was, she was physically pure, morally pure. Hey, you know what? I don't want to rob that from her, you know? And, and so really it, he, he, he thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Listen, that's not what's going on. She was a princess. She was the son of David. Where did the princesses live? They lived in the palace along with the king, along with all the other guards. Amnon, this is what it's talking about. Amnon couldn't figure out how he was gonna slip past the guards, slip by everybody else, go into Tamar's room, do whatever he wanted to do, the wicked things he wanted to do, and get away with it. In other words, he couldn't figure out how to sin and win. You know, there are even kids in this room, even this uh, this week while you're here, you are planning on some wicked activities when you get home. 
You're thinking, oh, I just can't wait till I get home and I hang with these friends or I get back with that guy and that girl. And you're even planning wickedness even right now where you're sitting at Southland. Would to God this story would have stopped in verse two. But would you look at verse three? The Bible says, but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. You know what that's talking about? Jonadab was a smooth operator, if you know what I'm talking about. This guy had a golden tongue and silver lips. Have you ever met somebody that it doesn't matter how bad they got caught, they could always talk themselves out of trouble? Have you ever met somebody like that? Maybe you know somebody like that. It didn't matter how bad they get caught red-handed and all the evidence, somehow they managed to get out of trouble and somehow they managed you know, not to uh, have all the consequences. Man, this was Jonadab. He had a plan for everything. This guy was a smooth operator. And notice what it says in verse four. And he said to him, this is Jonadab speaking, why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Will thou not tell me? So he walks in, he sees something's bothering Amnon. He says, hey dude, you're the king's son. You have everything that you want. Man, why are you discouraged? And so look at verse four. And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. And again, he didn't love her. He lusted after her. And then I want you to look at verse five. And Jonadab said unto him, lay thee down on thy bed and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat at her hand. He's saying, you know what, man? You came to the right place. Here, listen, this is what you do. You lay down and pretend that you're sick. And when David comes in, tell him that you're sick and you need some food and ask to send, for him to send Tamar into your room to make you some food. She's gonna walk past all the guards. She's gonna walk into the room. Then you shut the door. And my plan is so smooth, you don't have to sneak out to her. I'll bring her to you. And this is the kind of crowd that he ran with. And maybe this is the exact same kind of crowd that you run with too. Look at verse seven or verse six. So Amnon lay down. He's actually gonna go along with this. He's actually gonna try it and see, man, I hope this thing works. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, uh, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat it at her hand. You know what the very first thing that happens when you have the wrong kind of friends in your life? Number one, you will be deceived you'll be deceived. Some of the things that you know are wrong, that you've been taught from the scriptures, some of the things that you know God clearly says that are wrong, some of the things your parents have taught you, we don't want you involved in this. You start have a change of your thinking. You think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody else does this. You know what the common practice of the day was to marry half-sisters? Tamar was his half-sister. And this was very clear in Jewish law that you are not supposed to do this, let alone be involved with her physically and in that kind of a manner before you're married. Uh, That was definitely sin. And so there's so many levels where this thing is wrong. And you know what? He knew it. And when you hang around with the wrong crowd, your thinking starts to change. Evil communications corrupt good morals or good manners. 
and your thinking starts to change in Romans 1.32, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And your thinking starts to change. You think, well, that guy does this and he's not zapped by a laser bolt or this girl gets involved in this and I'm not allowed to do it, but she does it. And man, there's no judgment upon her life. It doesn't seem like heaven opened up and rained down uh, fire and brimstone on her. Hey, that's not that big of a deal. You know, maybe my parents are just overprotective or maybe my church is just a little bit hyper, you know, with all their standards. You know, it's not that big of a deal. And your thinking begins to change. Listen, if you don't think Hollywood doesn't have an agenda, you are sorely mistaken. Eric McCormick, who plays Will on the very popular sitcom Will and Grace that has made a comeback in the last few years that has an obvious homosexual agenda, Eric McCormick said this. He says, when two old ladies sit down and say, I hope Will finds a nice man to live with the rest of his life, then we know our show has done its job. There's a young lady that wrote in to James Dobson and she said, uh, you know, I have a friend that's a homosexual and, you know, I don't, I don't uh, you know, really uh, condone that lifestyle, but I watch Will and Grace. I think they're normal people. I guess I don't condone their sin, but I don't condemn it either. And the devil just won. And you know what this society is doing? This society is saying, you know what? God's not the king. He's not the creator. He made a mistake. You can choose whatever gender you want. Listen, it's not a choice. It's called biology. And God made you a certain way. And it's the same thing as Romans 1. We don't want to be under the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be our own gods. We want to reinvent and create ourselves, And we want to live however we want to live. Listen, there is a God of heaven that made you, that loves you, that sent his son to die for you. He's got some great plans for you. And he alone is worthy to be praised. And he is the one that we ought to be living for. But we want to take our life and do whatever we want. And I'm telling you, when you hang out with the wrong crowd, you start to be deceived. This is why maybe some of you had a same-sex uh, attraction, or you start to think about maybe I'm the wrong gender, and you have all these things swirling around in your head because you're taking everything that the world says, and the devil just wants to confuse people. By the way, people who have a, the operation to have a gender change, do you know what the suicide rate is for those people that have already had that surgery? It is astronomical. In fact, there are doctors being sued for malpractice who don't disclose that information. If you go ahead with this surgery, you know what the suicide rate for those that have had it it's the majority of them they're actually being sued for malpractice I'm telling you and the devil just sits there and he laughs at you and God made you the way that you are he loves you he has a great plan for you and when you slide into that plan for God and you just live for him I'm telling you that's where life really begins Amen. and that's where the power comes from and so you hang out with the wrong crowd, you'll be deceived. Your thinking starts to change. In Psalm chapter one, I referenced this, this passage last night. Blessed is the man who walketh in the counsel, who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Did you see the progression in that verse? First of all, he is walking. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly. He is walking. There's ungodly all around him. You know what the next part is? Now he's standing in the way of sinners. He's not moving anymore. Now he's standing. And he's loitering around with them. You know what the next step is? He's actually sitting himself in the seat of the scornful. You're going to be exactly like the crowd that you hang out with. 
And there may call them that. You know what? It won't be long before you will. He was standing, he was walking, then he was standing, now he is sitting. This is exactly where Amnon is. He knows that this is wrong. He knows that he shouldn't go in <coughs> and have a hookup with Tamar. And you know what, but he's thinking, man, maybe it's okay. Maybe this is the common practice of the day and everyone's doing it. And so he lays down. And so would you look at verse seven? And then David sent him to Tamar saying, go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him eat. So Tamar went to her brother at Amnon's house. I'm telling you, this was a girl, she was not only beautiful, she was beautiful in her character. She obeys and she's willing to be a servant. I mean, there are probably hundreds of things she would rather be doing to make her half uh, brother some food and bring it to him and care for him. There are other things she probably wanted to be doing, but she was just obedient. And, and so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and, and he was laid down and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him but he refused to eat. That's not why she was there according to his plan in the first place. And Amnon said, have out all the men from me. And they went out every man from him. She comes in, she starts making the food. Amnon tells all the guards to leave. They leave, they shut the door. Now the stage is set. Would you look at verse 10? And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber, that I may eat of thy hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, come lie with me, my sister. He's not saying, hey, let's go down to the post office and I'll lie about my age and you lie about your weight. That's not what it's talking about. I think you get what's going on in the text. And look at verse 12, and she answered him, she says, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. Would to God we'd have girls with that kind of character in this room. She says, what are you doing? This, this shouldn't be a type of thing that ought to happen, and you're going to be as one of the fools in Israel. Would to God that we'd have girls in this room that you look at some guys and say, listen, this kind of crud shouldn't be going on in our youth group. You ought to stop doing this. You ought to look at some of these people and say, hey, this kind of filthy activity, hey, this shouldn't be going on in our Christian school. You shouldn't be involved in that. And she was a girl that had some character. She was willing to take a stand. By the way, girls, this for Tamar, this just didn't happen overnight. This wasn't something that she just decided at the last minute. She had some character. <clears throat> she had made some decisions in her own life that, <clears throat> that had brought her to the point where she was gonna stand for moral purity. Let me tell you, you're not gonna get to your senior year of high school and be morally pure by accident. It's a decision you gotta make right now. For every guy and every girl in this room, it is a decision that you need to make right now. You're not gonna be in the backseat of some car in the heat of the moment thinking, oh, you know what? I better look up at the Bible to see what God wants me to do here. You know, uh, by then it's too late. Remember Daniel? In Daniel 1.8, he purposed in his heart that he was not gonna defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. He knew he was gonna get into a situation where he was gonna be tempted to do something that was wrong. And you know what? He made his decision ahead of time. He knew who God was, he knew what God expected of him, and he made his decision ahead of time. And listen, that's what you've gotta do. If you have never made a decision to be morally pure to the day you get married, and you'll be morally pure even after that, listen, you ought to do that this morning right here. Amen. Well, no, you're not. You're bought with a price. Your body is not your own. 
belongs to him. So she said, listen, you shouldn't do this thing. No such thing ought to be done in Israel. In verse 13, whither shall I cause my shame to go? Because every time you get involved in sexual sin, there is a shame that comes along with it. Proverbs 6, 32, whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, yet whoso doeth it destroyeth his own soul. There is a shame, a wound, and a dishonor shall he get, the scripture says, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Yes, God can forgive you, but there is a certain kind of a shame and a reproach that comes upon you. You know what the fact is? There are some kids in this room, you can't even walk down the hallway of your school, your Christian school, or your church and look across the hallway at somebody else because some of the wicked things you've done together. And you know what? She knew that. Whither shall I, gonna, I cause my shame to go? This is what she said in verse 13. And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools of Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speaking to the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Now she knew that it was not lawful for half-brothers to marry half-sisters, but she's just trying to get out of this situation. And, and maybe she could just hold them off at bay and man, just get out of there. And you know what she was doing? She was looking ahead at what are the consequences if I do this thing. What did God David would have done that? When he looked down and he saw this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, by the way, she full well knew that David could see her on that rooftop. She wasn't innocent in this situation either. She was kind of putting herself out there and David looks down and he sees her. Would to God at the same time that David saw her that he could see a vision of four tombstones with the names of his boys on them. He said, Absalom, Absalom, I would have died for the Absalom. The sword never departed out of his house. Would to God he would have considered the price. Samson, the same time he saw Delilah, if he could have had a vision of him grinding in the prison house with his eyes gouged out and them openly mocking God and serving Dagon. And you know what? He never would have done it. He lost his strength. He lost his service and he lost his sight. He never would have done it, but he failed to consider the price. But it's exactly what Joseph did. He looked at Potiphar's wife. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do this to him? He's got such a great plan for me. He loves me. How can I do this to Potiphar? He trusts me. And how can I do this to you? If I'd be doing this, I'd be sinning against God. I'd be sinning against Potiphar. And I'd be sinning against you. You know what he did? He considered the price. And this is what she is trying to help Amnon to walk him through. Would to God the next time you're tempted, think about what's gonna happen if I go through through with this wicked activity, if I commit this sin, if I do this, what's going to happen down the road? Most kids, you just live from one fun thing to the other, and the Bible says, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself from it, but those simple pass on and are punished. And if you just kind of walk through life and just do whatever you want to do and all, whatever fun thing comes to you, listen, you're going to be a statistic. There is an enemy. He is after you. He is actively seeking to destroy you. You know what? We have to realize that. we got to wake up. And so that's what she's trying to help him to do. But would you look back down at the text in verse 14? Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she forced her and lay with her. When you hang out with the wrong crowd, number one, you'll be deceived. Number two, you'll be defiled. Now the very things he knew he shouldn't be involved in, now he is the one doing it. And now there is a stain on his life. 
and now he's involved in the wicked activity. And that's exactly most of the, ki- most of the young people that I talk to, you know where their sin really begins? Starts with the wrong crowd. Listen to the wrong music or just the wrong crowd, always the wrong place leads to the wrong crowd and it leads to the wrong activity and always puts you in the pit. If you really think about it, most of your sin, a lot of it begins with just hanging out with the wrong crowd. You hang out with the wrong crowd, you know what, you'll be deceived, you'll be defiled. But look back down at verse Number 14, howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he had hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise and be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause, and this evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called this servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. Now this great treasure, this beautiful woman that he wanted to be with, now she doesn't even have a name. Put this woman out from me. And they bolted the door in verse 18 and she had a garment of divers colors upon her for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then a servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. Think of this robe that uh, this was like, you know, a lot of times your dad, if you're a girl, buys you a purity ring. That's like kind of what this robe was. That if you were a king's daughter and you were a virgin, you would wear this special robe to signify your purity. And so, uh, you know, and, and so Amnon does what he does. And, you know, now, You'll see in just a minute what happens to her. But, but I, can I just tell you that when you hang out with the wrong crowd, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be defiled. But look how his sin, number three, you'll be destroyed. Look at how the sin, boy, affects Amnon. He hated her. There was an anger in his heart. Look what is sin. Your sin never affects you. It affects everybody around you. Look what it does to Tamar. And not only destroys your life, we're gonna see that in a minute. Look what it does to Tamar. In verse 19, and Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. Look at this scar that he put on Tamar's life. He was so selfish to get a few minutes of pleasure. But look at this scar that he put on Tamar's life. Could I just tell you that in the sight of God, Tamar was still pure. She didn't give in to this. She didn't want this. She didn't ask for this. This was something that was forced upon her. I believe in the sight of God, she was still pure. She could have worn that robe. But look at all the distress and misery upon her. Listen, gang, I'm not naive enough to think that in a crowd of this size, there's not sexual abuse represented in this room. Listen, I preach to thousands of people every year. I sit down behind closed doors. I hear the stories. I hear what's happened. I'm not naive enough to think that sexual abuse is not represented here. In fact, there may be something that has happened, maybe from your parents, or even sexually abused maybe by somebody in your family. And you walked in this morning, and you're carrying a huge weight. Nobody knows about it, but you do. And nobody can see it, but man, you know what's there. And maybe you even sit there and blame yourself and think, you know what, man, it's all my fault. And you feel like trash. Can I just tell you, 
if that abuse has been put upon you, listen, you're still pure in the sight of God. Amen. And you didn't give in to that. You didn't consent. Then somebody's selfishness that was forced upon you, you know, now has produced some, some scars in your life. And I tell you, God loves you so much. That life isn't over. And listen, God is so much bigger than the things that come into your life. He's, I don't know why God would ever allow that to happen. But what I can tell you is that maybe 10 years from now, you might be sharing the gospel with somebody and they may look at you and says, what do you know about sexual abuse? You're just a Christian. You could look at them and says, you know what, that happened to me, but let me tell you who he is. And you may actually have a chance to minister to people and reach them in a way that I never could. God never wastes suffering. And I don't know why he would allow it to happen, but he is so strong and he is so sovereign and so holy. He could use these wicked things that have happened in your life and he could turn them around and use them for his glory and do some great things about it. And God still loves you. And you don't have to sit there like Tamar in ashes and just totally be depressed and just have this scar upon you. Listen, because there is a risen Savior, you could rise above that. There's a resurrected Savior that he could help you through, that he's walking the road right next to you. But look at this scar that his sin put on her. Man, now it starts to destroy him. He this sin tried to destroy Tamar. Man, look what it does to Absalom, verse 20. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, so here she is crying. She has ashes on her head. This is just to symbolize that there's just a brokenness, a grieving. She tore apart that robe with divers colors on it. And so Absalom walks in. He sees her just distressed and broken and crying. And look at the first thing that comes out of his mouth. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? He looks at her and she is weeping and he says, hey, have you been with Amnon? You know what, that ought to suggest to you that this wasn't the first rodeo with Amnon. I mean, the first thing out of his mouth is, hey, Amnon had something to do with this. He says, but hold now thy peace in verse 20. He is thy brother, regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Again, look at the scar that's on her life. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. By the way, you think you're gonna sin and do whatever you want and you're gonna cover it and nobody will find out? That's a joke. Let me tell you, girls, you take an immodest picture of yourself and you send it to some boy so you think he'll like you, I'm telling you, it's not gonna be lunchtime and every guy in that school is already gonna see that picture. In fact, when you back up to what Amnon did unto her, after he got what he wanted, he said, put now this woman out for me and they bolted the door. This beautiful woman that now didn't even have a name I mean, this beautiful woman, now she doesn't even have a name. It was just like a piece of trash or a Kleenex just waiting to be thrown away. Girls, can I talk to you just a minute? I have teenage girls. Can I talk to you just a minute as a dad? A lot of times, girls, what they do is you will give physical affection to really get what you want, and you want someone to love you. You want someone to cherish you. You want someone to laugh with, someone to cry with, someone that's always gonna have your back, someone that's gonna help you and walk through the deep valleys with you. And, and you want someone to love you, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. So what you do is you're tempted to give away a cheap kind of physical affection. 
you know, the hand-holding, the kissing, whatever goes along with that. And in and, and, and order for this boy to like you to get what you really want, can I just tell you what the guy is thinking? He is willing to give you a cheap kind of emotional love to get what he really wants. His pleasure to do with you whatever he wants. And can I just tell you, just like this story, when you give in to physical and moral impurity, and that boy gets what he wants, he is going to be out the door, and he's going to discard you like trash, like he did, like Amnon did to Tamar. Man, I've heard this a thousand times. Come on, baby. If you love me, you'll do it. If that man loved you, let me tell you, love always waits for the ring. Every time. If he really loves you, you know what he would be saying? You know what, baby, I love you so much, I'd wait a thousand years for you. That's what love says. Lust says, come on, right now, do it. And if you don't, I'm moving on to the next person. I'm telling you, girls, if you meet a guy like that, and maybe you're dating a guy like that, you ought to run from him. If that guy is involved in pornography, run from him. Marry a guy that has kept himself pure. Who cares if he looks like Thomas the Train? Marry that dude. <laughs> All right? I'm, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to help you. And a lot of times, you know what? Whenever he gets what he wants, man, he is out the door. I was preaching at a camp just like this. A 17-year-old girl, Robin, she walked up to me. She said, Preacher, I was at a wicked party just a couple of weeks ago. I got so drunk. I don't even remember half the night, but I got pregnant. She said, we did blood work to have to find out who the dad was, and it was my boyfriend. When I confronted him, he said, I never loved you anyway. He walked out the door. She said, Preacher, I'm now a 17-year-old girl. I have a one-year-old baby. I'm just trying to put the pieces back together. She said, Preacher, don't ever stop preaching on holding hands because that's where it all starts. And with the wrong crowd. Maybe some of you are in a dating relationship that, he, that you're with a guy or a girl that your parents don't approve of. I'm please let me help you. You may not understand it, and you may not agree with the reasons why they don't like that boy or that girl, but I'm telling you, the majority of the times when a person, a young person, marries and dates out of the will of the parents, it never ends up pretty. They did a survey of 2,000 college kids at Christian colleges, Pensacola, Bob Jones, Clearwater, Maranatha. They asked them, what is the great, greatest regret of your life? 95% of them said it had to do something with their dating career in high school. You know what, if you just say, you know what, I'm just gonna wait. I'm not gonna date till I go to college or till I get a little bit older. Listen, you're really not ready to date unless you're ready to find a mate. Yeah. Right now at your age, are you ready to settle down and have kids and buy a house and get a mortgage and pay bills and, and, and shepherd the hearts of all these children? You know, man, that's probably the furthest thing from your mind. Listen, if you're not ready uh, to find a mate, man, you're not ready to find, a, you're not ready to date. And if you just hold off just for a brief period of time, we're just talking two to three years, man, and you just wait, 
man, maybe now you go to Christian college, or maybe now you have a little bit more discernment, a little bit more time to grow, and now you get, yeah, now these things, yeah, I, listen, I, I, trust me, I know, some of you girls are thinking, you know what, Ron, if I have to marry someone in my youth group, I'm doomed forever, I get it, all right, I know, and, and I went to public high school, and man, it was just so wicked, and there's just, when I went to Bible college, there were girls I didn't even know existed, I'm like, I'm like, you're not pregnant, you're not drunk, you're not on meth, and you have a pulse, sign me up. That's better than anything I had in my high school. <laughs> I mean, there were girls I didn't even know existed that loved God, wanted to do what's right. And you know what? I'm so glad that I waited. But you know what? Love, man, it always waits for the ring. Right. Listen, girls, if you dress in a way that draws attention to your body, you're a fool. Guys, if you are running after a girl that dresses in a way that draws attention to their body, you are a fool. You say, preacher, that's strong language, but you know how you know how the writer of Proverbs put it? He said, he goeth after a straight way as an ox goeth to the slaughter and as a fool to the correction of the stocks. In Proverbs 7, the Bible says, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. She, did, she wasn't a harlot, but she dressed like one. And Christian kids are masters at meeting the standard of the school, the standard of the youth group, the standard of their mom and dad, but they, yet they still dress in a way that draws attention to their body. Girls, do you want a guy to fall in love with you, your clothes, or your body? Let me just help you, because if you dress in a way that draws attention to your body, and young lady, that's how you get your man, let me tell you, in about 20 years from now, you're not going to be as pretty as you are right now. And there's other, some other brazen hussy that's going to come down the pike, dressing in a way that draws attention to her body. Listen to me. She's going to rob your husband right out from under you the same way you got him. And man, I could give you 30 minutes of stories of exactly how that's happened. You want the arrows of your fashion to point to your heart. And you want to fall in love with you and your passion for God and, and love God together and serve together. Listen, that's the kind of person that you ought to marry. Let the, fashions of you, let the arrows of your fashion point to your heart. And again, I believe Tamar is still pure in the sight of God. Maybe there are some young people in this room, you're in a relationship right now that you need to break it off and you know it in your heart. And you've done some wicked, some ungodly things that he's not pleased with and you've robbed God saying, God, my body's my own. I'll do what I want. And you're sitting here and you're not right with God this morning. And you ought to break it off. And you know what? The devil doesn't care about your little boy, girl, uh, little problems. And he doesn't care, you know, I'm boy crazy and he said something to me and now I'm, he doesn't care about any of that. He sits there and laughs at you as he destroys your life. And but God, if you just do it God's way, he has so much more than that for you. And it's something that's incredible, that's wonderful, that God wants you to enjoy in marriage. And you know what, man, just do it God's way. And it's so much, so much better. Well, we go back to Absalom, look how it destroys his life. But when the King David heard of all these things, you know what, you're not gonna hide it, it's gonna come out. I believe it's impossible for a Christian to hide his sin. It may not be impossible for an unbeliever to hide his sin. God doesn't spank kids that aren't in his family. In verse, in, verse 20, in verse 22, and Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. For two years, 
He never spoke good nor bad to Amnon. For two years, this anger was festering in his heart and in his life. For two years, he was so mad. And Maybe there's some kids here this morning. Maybe you're bitter and you're angry at somebody else. Kid walked into my office a number of years ago and he had been um, uh, essentially abused by the band teacher in his school. He said, man, I'm so mad, I'm gonna kill that guy. I said, man, I totally get it. That was so wrong and I'm so sorry that happened to you and you know what? God's gonna deal with that guy. But you're starting to go off a cliff and you're letting anger in your own life and that's gonna destroy you. Don't let this guy's wicked sin, man, force you to do something that's wrong. He became so angry. And maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you're just so angry and so bitter. And, and, he, and you would say, Ron, you know what? That person had no right to do that to me. And if you told me the story, I probably would agree with you. I'm like, yeah, man, they had no right to do that to you. But please do not give your heart to anger and to bitterness. This is what Absalom did. And you know what, man? It destroyed him. Look what happens in verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Belhazor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. So every year they go down to Belhazor and they shear the sheep. You know, if you know anything about sheep, they have these, these huge coats of wool on them. And you know in Psalm 23 where it said, he leaves me beside still water waters, sheep did not like rushing water because if they were to fall in, their coats of wool were so heavy, they couldn't swim and it actually would drown them. So the sheep were afraid. Isn't that such just like our shepherd? He leads us beside the still waters. So, but they were going to go down and they were going to take all the wool and they would use that wool to sell it and to make things out of. So they would do this every year. They would go and cut off all of the wool off of those sheep. And so they're all going to go down there and Absalom wants Amnon to come. And Absalom came to the king in verse 24 and said, behold, now thy servant has sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, how be it, but he would not. Not, but he would not go. You know, David's like, why am I going to go down there? David was a shepherd at one point. I mean, he knew what needed to be done. He's like, well, why do I need to go down? And he says, that's not the reason why Absalom asked David to go. See, he's very smart in negotiating. You want to ask for something up here, even though what you want is here, you ask for something here because when the compromise is made down here, that's really what you wanted. And that's exactly what Amnon is doing. You probably learned this from Jonadab being very subtle. But notice what happens in verse 26. Then said Absalom, if not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. Well, if you can't come, at least let Amnon come. And look at verse 26. And the king said to him, why should he go with thee? This was strange to David. Like, why are you asking for Amnon? But Absalom pressed him. And Absalom was just, you know, just pressing him, but uh, uh, that he let Amnon and the king's sons go with him. And so finally he lets him go. Now verse 28, now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. When I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him, fear not. Have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. He got all his friends together. They go down to Belhazor. Amnon is down there with him. And he looks at, and Absalom looks at his friends. He says, listen, we're gonna get Amnon drunk tonight. By the way, when you give in to alcohol, there's nothing good that comes from that. We're gonna get Amnon drunk. 
and when he's drunk and he can't defend himself. We've got a score that I need to settle that's two years old. Now he's a murderer. When you get bitter and angry, you start doing some things that normally you would never do. Really, bitterness is the sin of selfishness, and you're just so consumed upon yourself. Look at all the bad things that have happened to me. You know what? I deserve this sinful pleasure. I deserve to do this. I deserve a little piece of the pie. And uh, in fact, in Hebrews 12, 15, you know what the Bible says? It says, it says, looking diligent, lest any man fail the gra- grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know what the very next verse says? It says, look diligently for bitterness, The next verse says, lest there be any fornicator among you or any profane person. Then it talks about Esau who sells his birthright uh, really for, for food. And you think, man, whoa, hang on a second. We're just talking about bitterness. And now the writer of Hebrews makes a quantum leap to immorality and, and talking about food. And you know what the connection is? What are the two quickest ways to gratify your flesh? It's through sensual, sexual pleasure and through eating. This is when people say, you know what? Look at all the bad things have happened to me. I deserve a little pleasure, and they give in to immorality. Oh, I just want to, I've been hurt by so many people. I just want to feel close and intimate with someone, have somebody love me, and they give in to immorality. This is why young ladies give in to eating disorders that could be represented in this room, bulexia, anorexia, bulimia. This is why they give into it. Well, I deserve a little pleasure, and so they eat, they eat, and they eat. Then they feel guilty about how much they eat, and they make themselves throw up, they purge themselves, and, and, you know what? and that process happens over and over, and they give in to anorexia, bulimia, they give in to immorality, and you know what it all stems from? That anger and bitterness. This is why God says, whoa, look diligently, get this man at the root, because when it grows and the fruit comes out, man, you don't want that. Look how it destroys Absalom's life. When you hang out with the wrong crowd, you'll be deceived, you'll be defiled, you'll be destroyed. But fourthly, I want you to say you'll be deserted. And look what happens. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's son arose and every man got up on his mule and fled. He's drunk. They get up. They start stabbing him over and over and over again with those scissors or those sheep shears, and they just stab him over and over. Maybe blood is everywhere. And then the Bible says every man got up on his mule and he fled. And here is Amnon. He is lying in a pool of his own blood. He is going out into eternity. He is breathing his last. And can I ask you a question this morning? Where was Jonadab? Where was this guy that had a plan for everything? Where was this great friend, you know, that he had? You know what? He was nowhere to be found. In fact, he was back at the, at the king. Uh, he was back at the, at, 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 in the palace, basically turning his back on him. You know what? He was nowhere to be found. And when you hang out with the wrong crowd and the hammer of judgment falls, in which it will at some point, I'm telling you, all those friends, they're going to scatter and they'll be deserted. And notice as he's lying there, verse 28, and then all the king's son arose and every man got upon his mule and fled. He was deceived, he was defiled, he was destroyed, he was deserted, but number five, eventually you'll be dead. 
He that walks with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I sat at a camp just like you. I went to public high school, and uh, I didn't get in trouble with, uh, with my kids in my public high school. I got in trouble with the kids in my youth group. Guys sat there and preached on friends and having being the right kind of friend and having the right kind of friends in your life and the potential dangers and the pitfall of having the wrong friends. God was all over me because of the not only the wicked things I was doing, but the wicked things my friends were doing. And I know there needed to be changed. I walked out of that service. I looked at the sky and says, God, I'm not giving you my friends. People ask me all the time, especially after revival meetings or, or winter camps like this, hey, did anybody make a decision? I say, yeah, all of them. Because every time you come to the word of God, you're gonna have to make a choice. My choice was the wrong one. I walked out just like some of you have done in services. I said, God, I'm not giving you my friends. God, I'm not gonna give you what you want. Just let me live my own life. You can have all this other stuff, but let me just have this. And we do this to God. I went home and I went over to Chris's house. Chris at that time was my best friend. He went to public school too, a different one. We were in the same youth group, but you name it, Chris was involved in it. The drinking, the immorality, the drugs at some point, stealing. I wasn't involved in those things yet. It probably wouldn't have been long. I'm not only a day home from camp, resisting God in all those services as he was dealing with me. And I went over to Chris's house. We got up the next morning. We were driving to the mall. He had a little, uh, he had a little Hyundai. Now, back in the 90s, a Hyundai was basically a glorified go-kart. I mean, those are like awful cars, you know what? And uh, we went down a hill, and uh, the road went up the hill on the other side, but there was a bridge, and it rained the night before, and there had water that collected on the bridge, and we went across the bridge, and the car started to hydroplane. We started to slide up the hill, but the road curved. Well, we went straight. We slid 180 feet off-road. We hit a fire hydrant, and as we were sliding, it kind of turned the car, and we kept sliding straight. It, it kind of turned the car and canted a little bit, and then you could see the telephone pole coming. If you've ever been in an accident like that, you know that it almost seems like everything goes into slow motion. As that car on the front driver's side, it, it impacted that telephone pole, you could feel the car just wrap around that, that telephone pole. And then there was silence, and then poof, all the way around the car, the glass shot out. I still remember the rock song that was playing on the CD player in the car. Maybe some music just like you listen to. There was blood all over the steering wheel and the dashboard. Chris was all banged. He was in bad shape. I kicked the door open because it wouldn't open. I had to kick the door open. I ran out to the road. I flagged somebody down. They stopped. They had a cell phone. They called. They called 911. The ambulance comes. They're breaking apart part of the car just to get Chris out. He's bleeding and blood everywhere. They, they put a neck brace on him. They put him on a shock board. They put him in the ambulance, and eventually he lived. But the paramedic looked at me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just standing here. Is that against the law? He's like, were you in that car? I said, yeah. They threw me in the ambulance. On the way to the hospital, I got to play with the, with the ambulance lights. That, that was kind of cool, you know? And, and, and I'm like, I'm fine. You know, I get to the hospital. They're putting all these needles in me. They're doing all these tests. My mom, uh, they called my mom, and she left work, and she showed up. Uh, they're at, at, at the hospital. Atlanta, Georgia is where, is where I uh, grew up, the northern suburbs there. At, and I never forget this, standing in the hallway, 
the doctor came out, my mom is standing next to me. He's got this, this flip chart of all these test results and, and he's just flipping the pages. He said, Ron, he said, we have done every test we know how to do. You hit a telephone pole head on at 60 miles an hour in a two-seater car and you were not wearing your seatbelt and there is literally nothing wrong with you. There wasn't a scratch. There wasn't a, br a bruise. I was literally unaffected. Everything but my heart. King, I'm telling you, I almost fatally learned the truth that a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And I'm so grateful to God that he had a telephone pole with my name on it. That as I did this to God, that he was willing to bring something into my life to get my attention. I went home, I was in the shower, and I remember just standing there in the shower saying, God, how much better would it have been if I just would have said yes to you back in that service at camp? You gave me a second chance. I'm not going to blow it this time. And you know what? I'm not telling you that if you don't make a decision and you resist God, oh, that God's got a telephone pole with your name on it. I'm not saying that. But here's what I'm saying. If you're a child of God, he will relentlessly pursue you because he loves you so much. And I know these things are true, not because I read it about it in Amnon's life, because I've seen it almost destroy my own. And some of you are on the same highway of your rebellion. You're just a couple exits back. And that telephone pole, quote unquote, is coming. And every time you sin, there's a choice. This morning, don't be dumb. Don't even be smart. But be wise. Learn from his mistakes. It starts with you stop hanging out with the wrong friends, letting God change you through the power of his word and the spirit so you can become the right kind of friend. And then you replace those wrong friends with godly friends and you start changing the crowd that you run with. He that walks with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Friends or foes? Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 
or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.